Welcome in to the Otson Audibles podcast. I'm Matt Prem. Eric Scopel is on the show as always. And boy, send me your ribs now. Get your jokes in on me now because I picked Oregon to lose. Eric picked Oregon to win. The Ducks go down to LA Memorial Coliseum. And I'm going to use air quotes here. Upset the USC Trojans who were undefeated going into this game, 13th in the college football playoff rankings, to win their second straight back-to-back Pac-12 championship game. 31-24 is your final score. We're going to break it all down on the podcast. But first, I want to remind you, you can help support the show, help support the site by subscribing to DuckTerritory.com for $1 for your first month. We are very close to breaking our all-time high in subscriptions right now on DuckTerritory.com, and you could get us over the top. And we're also on pace to almost double our downloads on the podcast this year compared to 2019. So thank you very much for listening to the show. This will be, I guess, our final regular season post-game show on the podcast because Oregon is playing in what we think will be the Fiesta Bowl after beating the USC Trojans 31-24, a game in which, Eric, if I had told you at the at ahead of the game, if I called you to this morning and said, hey, Oregon's going to have 243 yards of total offense, they will average just 4.1 yards per play, they will have a turnover in this game, they will have a bunch of penalties – in this game, some of them very costly. They would be just five of 13 on third downs. You probably would say they got blown out, right? Well, the uh, look at the box score is uh, a little bit confusing, right? I mean, like you and the things you ran through, it's like they didn't check a lot of the boxes you would have expected here. Um, offensively, like, yikes, some... Tyler Shuck did not have his bounce back performance that did not come together. Um, no. The receiving there was, and because of that, there was really no passing game to be had. And we'll talk about it. Anthony Brown comes in and has some nice moments, no doubt about it. Um, but yeah, uh, you know, and, and like, let's just start here. Like what a freaking wacky week and for it to end the way it did. I mean, like, let's, <laughs> let's just reflect. I mean, I'm sitting here going like, this is one of, I think this is probably fair. From my perspective, this is the most eventful week covering an Oregon football team, period. Um, There was a game against Washington that was supposed to be played Saturday. It was canceled. They were supposed to play. As of Sunday, they were supposed to play Colorado tomorrow. That game gets canceled. uh, Or got canceled. That game gets moved to Oregon against USC because Washington can't play in the game that was played tonight. Uh, There starts to be rumors about Mario Cristobal and Auburn. There's National Signing Day. Mario Cristobal signs a new contract and then Oregon finishes the week beating USC 31 to 24 to win its second straight Pac-12 title. I mean, like this was really just a wacky, wacky week. And um, I think you reflect back on it and go like, this has a potential. This has a chance to be like one of those like kind of turning point weeks for the program, really. I mean, like you can point to some stuff that was kind of negative mixed in between the, the roller coaster of emotions with, not getting an opportunity to play Washington to the possibility of losing Oregon's coach to another school. But like it all ended up kind of coming up Oregon green and yellow. I mean, like think about it. Like they signed the best 
well, what's the beginning of the best class in program history? They sign their head coach to um, an extension and, and lock him down for at least the next two to three years, I would imagine. And then they finish it up with, with a win in a rivalry game against USC that the Trojans brought it. The Trojans played a heck of a game. Oregon just played better. And, and, that, and again, they win despite kind of playing without a passing game, period. I mean, they really win this game because the defense plays really, really well. It puts them in a position to win the game. And the run game just does, does just enough. I mean, they, as you said, it's not like they really put up the big yardage here. I mean, they scored 31 points, and none of them were defensive or special teams points. And you would think they would have to have been to get to 31 points with the yardage they gained. This was a this was a pretty significant win for Oregon. I mean, obviously, yes. I mean, knock on wood, what an idiot. Oregon won the Pac-12 championship. Yeah, of course, you idiot. It's a it's a significant win. But this was, uh, I think, a pretty big blow to USC and Clay Helton and the rest of the Pac-12. I mean, I tweeted this a couple of times after the game was over. The Pac-12, the rest of the conference, the other 11 teams, they are going to hate Oregon so much over the next eight months because, look, this is a team, this is a school that has mastered the craft of marketing. This is a school who has a head coach who is very good at promoting and marketing his program and doing it in a very aggressive and also very impactful way. This is a team that's got assistant coaches that follow suit. And this is a team that's got players that follow suit in that same regard. And USC did some talking ahead of time throughout the off season, take back the West mentality. There was a lot of, negative recruiting that USC did about how this is now their, their school and or their conference. And this was a, uh, a year they were going to show everybody that, you know, they're back and leading into this game. I mean, senior receiver, Tyler Vaughn's said, this can't lose. We're not going to lose. That's the whole talk. There's nothing more to be said about it. We're just not going to lose to them. And we're recording this post game 10, 10 20 p.m. Pacific time Friday night. You go scroll through Twitter and boy, Oregon's players, Oregon's coaches, Oregon support staff, they are reminding everybody that they are the Pac 12 champions two times in a row now. And it's straight up clear the league goes through Eugene right now. And there's really nothing to suggest it's going to change for a while because remember, this was the youngest team in power five college football. What was it like 81% of their roster was, was freshmen or sophomores third straight year. They've led the, the, the PAC 12 in recruiting. They've just signed their best class in school history. And like Eric said, they've landed a, a new contract extension for Mario Cristobal. So nothing is changing here. And this is a win where Oregon's offense did not play very well. And we got the, True, I think, Oregon defense for the first time all season long. I mean, they absolutely shell-shocked the Trojans' offensive line, and Keaton Slovis was shook. I mean, you threw out a tweet. Uh, real, I, I want you to repeat that tweet about something about Keaton Slovis' turnovers in yeah. games against Oregon and against the rest of the uh, the conference. Well, I guess, and I think I said conference, it's really just all opponents included. He's had 16 total interceptions in his career. Six have come against Oregon, three this year, three last year. Um, they have figured it out against him. And, and again, 
I'll turn it back to you here because I know you had some more to say, but I, I just think you look at the way this defense played and you give a credit to the defensive backs for making the interceptions and, and for finishing those plays, but a ton of credit to Kayvon Thibodeau, Brandon Doralis, and the guys up front because he was on the move all night and the pocket was collapsing on him all night. Very infrequently did he have time to stand in that pocket and he'd kind of go like, that did not look like the same Oregon defensive front that allowed backup quarterbacks and first-year quarterbacks to kind of beat them up all season. Where was this Oregon defense all year? Right. Alas, it doesn't matter. Oregon wins, and they're the Pac-12 champs. But, boy, if we would have seen this effort a couple weeks earlier in games against Oregon State, and I think we saw part of it against Cal, Oregon probably doesn't have a loss right now. Mario Cristobal touched on that, too, post-game. Um, he, he said that this unit – they were not up to standard of development, conditioning, strength-wise, because of COVID-19. And he said that, you know, the first four games of the year, they just weren't good enough. And against Cal, he said you could start seeing the development, the conditioning, the strength coming back to this unit. And they put forth a good effort in that game and a really good performance. And that he felt like, against Washington, they were going to play a really good game and they were going to have more of the Oregon defense that we were expecting. And then he he came forward and said, ask any player, ask any coach, anyone on this team, anyone associated with this program, going into tonight's game against USC, we knew we were going to play in a really good defensive game. And it was evident. I mean, the front seven was dominant. I mean, USC could not run the football. They finished the game with just 38 yards, 1.4 yards per carry. I mean, I don't know when the last time a USC team, and I understand they run the air raid now and they're throwing the ball all over the place, 52 attempts for Keaton Slovis, but they've always been able to run the football, at least you know, moderate with moderate success at, at bare minimum. I mean, that was putrid for, for them. 1.4 yards uh, per carry on that, on that in that game. And it came against a defense in which they didn't have to bring five, six, seven, eight guys to generate pressure. It was often three, four, maybe five guys getting pressure on Keaton Slovis. And when they ran the football, what was different about this team this week than previous weeks, Oregon's rallying to the ball was significantly better. I don't know how many times we saw really good one-on-one -on -one tackles which we haven't seen throughout the year for Oregon's defense. And so maybe it goes to what Cristobal was saying that this team literally is kind of rounding into form. And I'd be really curious to see how this defense would, would perform if this was a normal year and there were four or four, five more games left to play this season. Yeah, no, I, I think the momentum is there and defensively, this is what we were hoping to see. Um, and I know, like, you look up and down the stats here defensively, and it's kind of surprising, actually, just three sacks, right? Right. <laughs> like, like, I, I, there, I think I – There was a ton of quarterback pressures that didn't get registered. Totally. And yeah, I know. I, 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 having watched that game, it was like – it felt like they hit him 12 times maybe. Like, I mean, like, they were all over him all night, and that's a credit to – all the players we've mentioned already. Um, and the, the run game for USC, completely non-existent. And that's not like super shocking. One of the worst rushing you know, rushing offenses in the conferences uh, is USC. Um, they had they were without Veve Malapai, who's their top, one of their top running backs. He didn't play in this game. 
but neither Stephen Carr or Marcel Stepp really could do much of anything all night, both bottled up. And uh, for, just from a, I mean, you look at this group defensively, and it's like whoever they play in their next game, we think it's going to be the festival. Like, that's what the expectation is. Um, who that will be, we'll find out on Sunday. They got to be ready for this Oregon team, you know, and I think it's going to be interesting to see what the national perception is entering this game. Were people impressed by Oregon? Do people now think Oregon, like, what's the betting line going to be? And obviously, it's going to be dependent upon who they play, but like, if it's a big time program, are, is, is, are, is Oregon going to be taken seriously after tonight? Or are people going to still reflect back on what they did in Corvallis and Berkeley? You know, um, personally, I think like, and we should talk about this. I think the quarterback stuff is still really concerning. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was going to go next. Yeah. Well, let's just, let's just, I'll just jump in and get my thoughts on it and then I'll toss it back. But like put aside the defensive performances, which were really, really impressive, but they didn't seem to trust Tyler Shuck to throw the football in the second half period. Yeah. I mean, how many, I think it was three different third and long run plays. And it you was, don't, you don't, it was do, bad. You, you don't do that. Yeah. I just took a pause. Cause I was kind of like, you don't do that. If you feel good about your quarterback situation. And what we saw was Tyler Shuck, eight for 15, two touchdowns, one interception, two touchdowns early in the game, hardly any completions in the second half. I wish I had the second half split. I don't know. Matt, do you have access to that? Because I think he might have completed like maybe one or two passes the entire second half. Um, the the run to pass ratio in the second half, which again I wish I had that pulled up in front of me, but like my assumption is that like they basically didn't throw the football after halftime, and you go against a team, you know, like this defense is not going to be able to do this necessarily every week. I think they're really really good, and they they're finally showing it the last couple weeks against Cal as well, and it'll depend on the matchup. But like I just go there's still a huge question mark at quarterback. There really Tyler is. Shuck, Tyler Shuck was two of four for 38 yards in the fourth quarter or er, in the second half. He attempted one pass in the fourth quarter for zero yards. And then Oregon attempted six total passes in the third quarter, two for three by Shuck for 38 yards, two for three by Anthony Brown for 15 and a touchdown. Yeah. And Shuck was also sacked on one passing play. So he didn't get the pass off. I mean, and look, I personally did not think they should lean on Anthony Brown in that second half. I don't, I I was not on board with replacing Shuck at halftime only because we knew nothing about Anthony Brown going into this game. This was the first time Anthony Brown played all year. And I understand he played really good or he played for three years at Boston college, but the rep on Anthony Brown was sometimes he was really good at Boston college. Other times he was hurt and other times he was really inconsistent. And my whole theory is look, if you didn't think Tyler Shuck was the guy to lead your team in a game in which you needed to come back and win the football game to, to ice the win or to put that game winning four minute drive to, to, score and put yourself up two scores to get the victory. You needed to play Anthony Brown at some other point in the season before the Pac-12 championship game. I mean, Oregon got incredibly lucky that their defense played the best game of their lives 
this season and was flat out dominant and gave Oregon's offense two scoring drives that started inside the red zone of USC when Oregon got turnovers because you didn't know for certain what you had in Anthony Brown going into this game. And that's why I was like really eerily, you know, not real comfortable with, uh, with a decision of potentially replacing Shuck at halftime. Had we known what Anthony Brown was within the Oregon offense, because they played him against Cal or they played him against Oregon state. I would have been calling for Anthony Brown to play, but because we didn't and knowing the stakes that were at hand, I went with what I knew. And I'll be honest. I think you go into this game in the Fiesta bowl now with a quarterback competition, you can't win a, a Fiesta bowl playing like this, knowing the opponent knows you have little confidence right now in your quarterback making the plays through the air needed because without, without CJ Verdell and a, a, a one dimensional offense right now, yep. you, you can't score enough points against a, a, a team that they're going to play. That's a top 10 team in the country. Mario Cristobal was very clear after the game to say there's no quarterback controversy that uh, this was a special package situation. They wanted to utilize Anthony Brown's legs and his ability around the goal line and short yardage in certain situations. Thought it was very telling who was on the field at quarterback when the game was on the line there. I know obviously it was pretty clear they wanted to run the ball in those situations. And you look back at the drive just before that, which was also a drive where Oregon was clearly intent on running the football. And Tyler Shuck got stuffed. Travis Dye didn't get any, have any success. They bring Anthony Brown into the game on Oregon's last offensive drive, which chews up about two minutes and uh, 20 seconds of clock. Anthony Brown immediately picks up nine yards. Cyrus Bibilikio picks up a yard. It's a first down. That allows them to kill even more clock. I thought it was very telling who was on the field. Um, there's two weeks now between – a little bit over two weeks, actually, between now – and the Fiesta Bowl, assuming that's where Oregon plays. And we believe that is where Oregon is playing, unless something wacky happens. Wackiness is kind of the story of the year, so I'm kind of putting a little bit of a hedge on that just in case it, it doesn't happen. But I'm with you, Matt, of like, it's pretty clear Anthony Brown needs to be playing in some role going forward in yep. that bowl game. Now, is he the starting quarterback? That's, I don't know, that's above my pay grade. Um, <laughs> that's a decision for those who are in practice watching these guys. But the offense clearly is lacking something when Tyler Shuck is on the field at all times. And I think credit to Joe Moorhead and the offensive coaching staff for finding a solution here. And I don't know if Oregon doesn't win this game, I don't think, without Anthony Brown's contributions. And you can say, well, he only completed three passes. Uh, two of them were touchdowns. They're all short passes. They're all pretty easy throws. Tyler could have made those. I thought the defense didn't know what to do with Anthony Brown on the field. Like, I think they legitimately didn't know, okay, what is his throwing capability? How much they had scouted him at Boston College remains to be seen. I think, again, tip of the cap to Joe Moorhead and, and company for finding some creative ways to, to to take advantage of a defense that was expecting one quarterback and clearly hadn't fully prepped itself for another, you know? But going forward, I'm with you of like, I know Mario Cristobal says no quarterback controversy. It's Tyler's job. They also said they're going to go with whatever helps them win football games. And the last two weeks, I, I 
it stinks to say the last two weeks, I don't think Tyler Shuck is giving you the best opportunity to win these football games the way he's performing in the second half. Um, I'd have to crunch the numbers entirely here to, to look and see what they are, but I think his quarterback rating has been pretty abysmal. He's been very inaccurate. He's made poor decisions. He's thrown the ball into weird places. Um, the interception he had tonight, I know, was in the first half, not the second, was just an all-time really bad decision. He threw it into terrible coverage. You know, I, I don't know if he didn't see the safety or what, but if they want to be the team that they – and I know, again, we're to last game, they're going to get a chance to win a major, major New York – you know, New Year's six bowl game. If they want to win that, it's not going to be with the Tyler Shuck we've seen playing recently at the helm. It just isn't going to work. And it's, it's kind of baffling Matt. and let's, we'll move on to something more positive after this. Cause there's a ton more positive to talk about, but it's kind of baffling with Tyler, the quarterback. We saw him be the first couple of games, right. And to see him now against Cal be completely ineffective in the second half, against USC be basically ineffective for the whole game aside from a couple of early drives in the game for what were fairly easy touchdown passes. Given credit, the one to Camp Moore was was not 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 the, that was that was a somewhat difficult throw. You had to put that in, in a in at least put some loft on that, put it into a tight window. But I just go like this is not the same quarterback we saw earlier in the season. And I'm kind of confused by it. And I'm with you of like you've got now you've got about 15, 16 days to, to to, to prep for this bowl game in the Fiesta Bowl. I, I am now probably more so than ever before. Like if there's ever a time to make a change, it's now. It really is. You've got a couple weeks to figure it out against a new opponent. You've got Anthony Brown some game time. He's looked good. Tyler's continued to struggle. I don't know if the staff will even make that, take that consideration. What Mario Cristobal said didn't really seem to indicate that was something that was on their minds. But I think they owe it to themselves to really consider that because I did not think we saw – what we saw to Tyler Shuck was simply not good enough tonight. You need more out of the offense if you're going to you win do. the Fiesta Bowl. You, you, you just have to. And so the, the job now in the next 16 or so days is to figure out how you can you manufacture an offense that's going to put up better numbers. Now, flipping the script, a lot of people outside of the Oregon fan base are going to point to the fact that Oregon didn't win the Pac-12 North, and so how could they really truly be the Pac-12 champions some are going to say that this game shouldn't even have been played. Some are going to say that it should have been USC against Colorado. Some are going to say that Washington is the true Pac-12 champ because they won the North and they didn't win. The, they didn't lose the Pac-12 championship game. Kayvon Thibodeau was asked about what his response would be to the people that say that this championship comes with an asterisk. And I, th- I thought he put it perfectly. History is written by the victors. Everyone's going mean, to, I mean, in three or four years, everyone's going to forget about that Oregon didn't win the Pac-12 North in 2020. And they only didn't win the Pac-12 North because Washington couldn't play that game against Oregon to give them the right to win or lose the chance to play in this game. And so he's right. History is is written by the victors. And they are champs, whether you like it or not up in Seattle, whether you like it or not in Boulder, whether you like it or not in Southern California. Oregon is back to back Pac-12 champions. Second time, uh, this is this has happened since first time since Chip Kelly did it for the Ducks. Uh, huge performance, huge win for Mario Cristobal and the Oregon football program. Some thoughts that have come in on Twitter from you, the Duck fan. Renee says this season felt like gambling with house money. 
tonight the Ducks hit the jackpot. As a fan, it's easy to look at all the negatives about this season. Like, why did they even attempt this in a pandemic? But seeing a conference championship will always be positive. I think Renee hit that. That's perfectly said. Yep. Um, Michael comes in feeling, feeling that the result is what was planned on at the beginning of the season, but didn't see the team playing to earn this title until tonight. Very happy for the players and staff. Concerned about an offense that doesn't utilize the talent available. Defense won the game. We should talk about how uh, Tyler Shuck post game said the team is mentally drained going through COVID-19 and playing this game. And I think that has to be taken into consideration. And maybe that's part of why he's not playing very well right now. Um, Michigan duck positives. I saw the youngest team in college football fight like hell. Kayvon was a beast tonight and the future looks bright dollars, especially need improvement. Shuck lacks confidence and coaches don't trust him. DB's got exposed a few times, but overall did all right. Uh, Marcus comes in, says the thing that stood out to me, and I know you guys are going to touch on this is the way they shuffled Shuck and Brown throughout the game. I'm sure there was a method to the madness, but boy, it was jarring at times and not exactly confidence building going into Fiesta at QB. Completely agree there, Marcus. Uh, I think Eric and I have kind of cut, cut through that. Mm -hmm. uh, Colby, first, it's amazing to think we needed our defense to close the game, and they showed up. Second, <laughs> they will be a new QB next year and possibly for the bowl game if they elect to play. Statistically, Shuck is good, but it just seems like the offense wasn't on the same page. It's crazy that when the game was on the line, time to run out the clock, they put it in the backup's hands. Uh, I, I agree. There's probably going to be a quarterback you know, battle the next six, 16 days or so. Um Greg, the defense has really grown this year. Our offensive calls are noticeably better now, but I just don't feel like they have the confidence in Shuck despite his numbers for the year. Huge for us to get a win and let's the kids keep practicing and learning in a shortened year. Uh, that should be noted too, that this team is getting valuable lessons, even though it, the season didn't go as, as hundred percent planned. They were picked to win the league. They have won the league. But they've learned some some advert have to go fight through some adversity to get there when everyone on this team has only known success. A couple other people I think we should note here. We haven't talked to we talked about offense, we talked about defense. How about special teams? Um, I guess it doesn't entirely impact the final result, but Henry Cattleman drills a 40 yarder. Like not, <laughs> we did not to make this a full podcast about controversies, but like position controversies, but like, why wasn't Henry Cattleman the kicker all season? That one kick was about 50 times better than anything we saw off of Camden Lewis's leg all year. Um, how about Tom Snee? I thought he punted really well and flipped oh, the yeah. position all night. Five punts, 214 yards total, 42.8 yards per punt. Um, three of them were inside the 20. He had a couple over 50 yards. Uh, I, I got a play that at least killed some time. I don't think they scored off of it. Correct me if I'm wrong on that. Um, I don't think they did. Where Talanoa Hafunga like simply wraps him up. And that's not like a great play by Tom Snee necessarily, but that was a huge, I thought, turning point there in terms of at least killing some clock, extending that drive. I don't think that was a drive they ended up scoring in the second half. Maybe that was the one that resulted in the Cattleman field goal. I don't, I don't recall for sure. But I just thought a couple of things on special teams that that were really positive that stood out. And I think defensively here. I know USC gets some pretty decent numbers in the passing game, right? You look at it here, 320 yards passing from Keaton Slovis. You've got a bunch of receivers with a lot of catches here. Um, Drake London and, and Brew McCoy in particular had big games. 
couple of young receivers that are going to get continue to be really good for a long time. But I thought Oregon's corners and the entire secondary, sure there were some up and down moments, but that's what's going to happen when you go against what is a team that has literally half a dozen NFL receivers on it. I mean, yep. it, the talent there they're is gonna, They're going to get numbers. They're going to get numbers. And I thought Oregon yeah. did a very good job containing that. Yeah, and I thought, like, give a lot of credit to D.D. Lenore, Mikhail Wright, D.J. James, by the way. How crucial was that pass deflection oh, on the ball in the end zone? Humongous. I mean, that play in the third quarter doesn't get talked about enough. I mean, that should have been a touchdown, and he, and he punched the ball out. So a lot of – I just think a lot of guys on defense that deserve a ton of credit, they went up against an absolute juggernaut offense, especially in the passing game, held them to 24 points, forced three turnovers, you know, were in – Keaton Slovis's mug all night long. Um, the run game was completely non-existent. Like I'm, I'm going to have to rewatch this before I do my, my grades for Saturday, but like, boy, I'm sitting here going, that's a pretty dang complete performance. And we'd asked all season for one side of the ball to have a, a, a four quarter complete performance. The defense did it tonight. The offense still has a lot to be left to be desired. I think we've, we've kind of touched on all that, but I thought special teams, Aside from the onside kick, which, by the way, I think that's one of those tip of the caps to USC. Oregon wasn't ready for it. But, again, special teams and defense, really, really good stuff all night, and especially defensively. I know people are going to gripe because there's points on the board and there are yards gained, et cetera. But if you just look at this game objectively and you think about the plays that were made, USC had to work for every single one of these. The only play I can really think of that USC had where it was "Quote unquote easy" was the Amon Ross St. Brown forty-seven when, yard when touchdown fell down. when Lenore fell down. Other than that, they worked and had to claw for every single yard they gained. A lot of fourth down conversions, a lot of big third down conversions. This defense came to play, and again, you go into this Fiesta Bowl preparation here. We don't know who they're playing. We'll find that out on Sunday. Feeling, I think, like regardless of the offense they're facing they're probably not going to be a heck of a lot better than the one Oregon just played. No. So now it's really on the offense to say, hey, if that defense can replicate that, and now it's two straight games where they've played really well. If the defense can keep playing like that and be that defense, and the offense just needs to figure its stuff out. And if they do that, I feel like Oregon can beat a lot of teams in the Fiesta Bowl. I really do. I think they're surging and heading in the right direction right now. I look at it this way. You and I are old enough to, to appreciate this, but I think a lot of our listeners, especially the ones that are probably 45, 50 and older, will really appreciate the fact that Oregon was the more physical, the more strong, uh, the, the, the more tough, the faster, the more d- disciplined team, mm-hmm. and the more aggressive team tonight against USC. And that's two weeks, that's two games in a row now where that's been the case when Oregon has gone down to Southern California's own home and pushed them around, especially on defense in that game, in that stadium. And that will, that will be a lasting memory for a lot of people. We talk about games that just carry a lot of recruiting momentum, carry a lot of, of program defining momentum Last year at the Coliseum and this one at the Coliseum, these will be games that Cristobal and his staff will bring up when they are going head-to-head against the Trojans for the best players in the country from Southern California. And USC may get a Corey Foreman, the number two player in the country, 
five-star defensive end yep. from Southern California this year. He may go to USC, but seeing how better prepared, how tougher they play than USC, the, the lack of mistakes that Oregon makes compared to the Trojans, that stuff stacks on, on top of each other time and time again. And when you get these types of wins against this program, you are going to start consistently seeing the recruiting wins flow your way. And we're seeing that play out at Oregon right now under crystal ball. And it's only going to get better and better. And, and so while this win is huge for the season, Oregon's going to play in a bowl game in the Fiesta bowl, most likely against an opponent. I think they could beat because Ohio state will probably make the college football playoff. I look at this as more of a, of a long-term three 30,000 foot, above perspective of this is just another notch in the Oregon belt for to continue building this program and getting them. I mean, think about this. They, they had to replace their entire offensive line. They had to replace their star quarterback. Their defense lost their best player from the last four years in Troy die. They had opt-outs of Penny Sewell. They had opt-outs of Thomas Graham, Javon Holland, Brady breeze. And this team won the pac 12 again. 10, yeah. 15 years ago, I don't think you could say Oregon. If you if you told me Oregon lost all those key contributors, I wouldn't say Oregon would be in a position to win the league again, and they have. Let's put it this way to wrap it up here. Oregon has passed the point of a rebuilding year, right? Yes. In the past, you're right. A year that all that was lost, needing to replace all that, it would take a year or two. They might be kind of competitive this year, but they certainly wouldn't be competing for a Pactual Championship. And I know they're – this is such a wonky year from the Pac-12 perspective that it's still Pac-12 championship, as Kayvon Thibodeau said earlier. Um, but typically, you know, in the past, this wouldn't have been something that happened, I don't think. And they're now at the point here where this is, I think, what the expectation is every season, and it doesn't matter what they lose. And this is what happens when you stack elite recruiting classes on top of each other. It becomes easier to stay relevant, you know, because in the past you'd have all these top-end NFL guys but their backups probably weren't very good. I mean, think about the program, Cristobal, and even before that, Willie Taggart inherited, where it was like, hey, Oregon's too deep. They're pretty good. Like, Oregon had pretty good players in their starting lineup, some pretty good players in their backups. But after that, boy, was the drop huge. This team, there are really good players that aren't playing very much just because there's no opportunity. Think about it this way. Oregon signed three five-stars on defense this year coming in. One of them played in this game. Only one of them really played all season. Justin yeah. Flo played in the opener. Dante Manning hasn't played all year. And yet this defense is still what this defense is. The sky is the limit. People should be really excited. And again, I, I really think we'll know who the op opponent is going to be here in about 48 hours. I'm, I think this is a team that looks game. They look like they're ready to go. And I don't expect that whoever they face is going to feel too big for them. And I really wouldn't be surprised in the least if they go out and have another strong performance in the Fiesta Bowl. Offense needs to be better. Defense can, if the defense can just stay the same, though, the offense isn't going to have to be crazy, crazy good. I I don't want to end the show. One, I, I want one more thing. Okay. I want to ask. I want to ask you this. Yes. Seeing how this season has gone out, Oregon's four and two now. Pac-12 champs. They're going to play in the Fiesta Bowl. How much does this win? And seeing what they went through, seeing what we, how this se regular season ended. What is your outlook in 2021? Understanding, let's just assume that defensively, the only senior that leaves this team is Diomede Lenore. 
I think he has no reason coming back to school. I think you could argue every other senior on this team theoretically probably should come back. Offensively, probably the same thing. Everyone should come back, except for maybe C.J. Verdell. What is your outlook, knowing with the season we've seen, knowing the recruiting that's happened, knowing the defense is turning a corner? I got to think of the Pac-12 favorites going into the year next year, without a doubt. No doubt. No, I don't have anything to rebut that with. I'll, I'll say this. We had kind of expected I had to, I had pointed to I you know I just said there aren't really rebuilding years. Oregon can always compete for a conference championship. I think that is true. I do think I looked at 2020 as a year that it would have been unlikely to play for a college football playoff. Clearly that was the case. 2021 feels like the year where you can start kind of building towards that. You mentioned all the players that come back. You should you have to bring up all the players they have brought in in this amazing recruiting class. You have to think about players that aren't playing right now that are going to be back. I mean, a guy like Sampson knew probably was going to be a pretty big contributor this year. He didn't, he elected not to play. We don't know if he's coming back, but that's another name. I just mentioned Flo and Manning. Think about the tight ends that haven't really played at all this year. Um, think about some other players on defense that have been kind of in and out of the lineup because of injuries. This is a team that can take a big step. And really, I truly feel this way. It's going to come down to the play at quarterback next year. That's going to be the differentiation between winning a Pac-12 championship, which I think will happen almost regardless, unless the quarterback play is regresses even and competing for a national championship. If they can figure out, I don't know if it, it, it may be Tyler Shuck. It might be Ty Thompson. It might be Anthony Brown. Who knows? Maybe it'll be Jay Butterfield. That feels kind of unlikely, but they need that position to be better. And because I think the pieces are there for the rest of it to be a college football playoff caliber team. I really do. Um, I know it's not always perfect, but this is a team that's going to be battle tested. And it's a team that's going to, you know, have to, doesn't have to replace a lot. And they return a ton of elite NFL caliber talent on both sides of the football. We're going to have more coverage on duckterritory.com throughout the weekend. Enjoy your Saturday. The men and the women's basketball teams are playing men play uh, at noon at home against Portland. I believe the women go north to Washington and play in the afternoon, late, early evening. And that one uh, we will have full coverage of both those games. We'll also have analysis recap of the bowl announcement, which comes Sunday. Uh, we'll have a show, We'll have updates on that on, on the site on duckterritory.com. We'll also have a ton more information, uh, a ton of analysis and opinion on the podcast as well. And we have more recruiting news coming through with signing day. We've got more on Mario Cristobal's contract extension on DuckTerritory.com. Thank you for listening throughout the entire year. And for a post-game version, we'll talk to you after what we think will be the Fiesta Bowl January 2nd. Thanks for listening. Talk to you later, folks.